0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the 50 Years Ago in Hockey Podcast, episode number 99. I'm your host, Rick Cole. Every week, I take you on a trip down memory lane, back 50 years, and we talk about all the hockey news that was being made at that time. This week, we are working with September 13th to 19th, 1971. If you like what we do here every day on Twitter and each week on the podcast, you can help us out by going to patreon.com slash hockey50years to subscribe to this podcast. Subscribers not only get early access to each week's podcast, but we have some really neat stuff in the special content where we delve more deeply and in greater detail to the stories that dominated the hockey world's at that time, 50 years ago, one of the things we're going to be doing this season is we're going to increase the number of special episodes that our Patreon subscribers are going to be getting. What we're finding, and that this is just the nature of the beast, uh, 50 years ago, we're finding that now, with 14 teams and two more being added for next season, plus the advent of the World Hockey Association looming not too far in the distance. There, there just isn't enough room in our weekly podcast, which will continue free each week, by the way, on the Hockey Podcast Network. But there's just not enough room in each podcast every week to adequately cover all the stories, what we want to report on. It's the same with Twitter. I just can't put out 65 tweets a day on some days to cover all the news that's going to take place during the hockey season with two major hockey leagues and lots more teams to report on. So what we're going to be doing is we're going to continue every day with the Twitter account giving the headlines of the big stories and the best we can do in 280 characters. And we're going to give you the headlines in these free podcasts every single week, but then what we're going to do is we're going to be delving more deeply into some of the juicy stories that were going on, and we'll make them available to the subscribers, and there could be maybe even two or three of those a week, so you're going to get a lot more for your subscription fee every month, because there's going to be a lot more special content. So, we are in the week of thirteen. to 19 September 1971 Uh, during this week we see that all the National Hockey League training camps were fully underway and we'll we'll put as many reports as we can in this episode Uh, lots of news and we'll start with it up right away the week began with news out of Toronto that the Maple Leafs were suspending goalie Bernie Pratt indefinitely for failing to show up at training camp. Now, it was being reported by most of the papers in Toronto that Bernie, who was in the second year of a two-year contract, wanted his... To be renegotiated, but as usual with the Maple Leafs, the story got a little more confusing. Uh, the report in the morning, I think Jim Proudfoot had uh, the 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 best, the most detailed report, and he had said the general manager Jim Gregory was suspending Perron indefinitely, like we mentioned. But in the afternoon, Red Burnett of the Star, a guy who was truly plugged into everything in the Maple Leaf world. He came out and said that there would be no suspension of the reluctant netminder, at least at that point in time, and that Perrant was wherever he was, probably back in Philadelphia, and he was, quote, thinking it over. Now, this is going to be the first of our overtime quick hit uh, midweek uh, podcasts that we're going to give you for the subscribers as we're going to provide all the gory details of what was truly truly turning out to be somewhat of a mess and Maple Leaf fans who uh, weren't around at that time you're wondering a bit about the history of the team take note of what happens here and what is said because where this goes could have a very bad effect on where Bernie Perrant chooses to continue his hockey career after the 1971-72 season. Now, there is a ton of hockey news this week, so we'll get to it as quick as we can here. More on Monday, there was a brief report on the Bruins training camp, which was getting underway in London, Ontario. United Press International reported that the Bruins seemed to be as loose as ever as they opened their camp. Coach Tom Johnson put the team through its first two-hour conditioning workout on Sunday, and he was pretty pleased with the way that the Bruins uh, went during that workout. Uh, Tom said, I just wanted a good state, skate, a real steady workload. I didn't want anybody coming up with muscle poles that would set them back right away in conditioning. The team was almost all there. Only two players were missing, defenseman Dallin Smith and, of course, Derek Sanderson, but both had absences that were, uh, the coaching staff was aware of, and they had been given permission to be late. The Bruins have this is less than most teams. Only thirty men in the in the Bruins training camp, and that includes a couple minor league players and draft choices. By the name of Ron Jones, a defenseman, and a right winger uh, out of Ontario by the name of Terry O'Reilly. Not too far from London is the town of Brantford, Ontario where at this point in time, a scrawny 10-year-old whiz kid was amazing local fans with his scoring exploits. But at this time, in 1971, it was the training home of the Pittsburgh Penguins, who had opened their camp there in preparation for the NHL season, which was to begin October 9th against the Philadelphia Flyers. The Associated Press was reporting that physical examinations and a light skate were the routine on Sunday, uh, their, pl- their first exhibition game for the Penguins is going to be Friday, and it will be in Brantford. Coach and general manager Red Kelly announced on Sunday that two more players had agreed to their contracts. They were right winger Nick Harbrook and tough defenseman Duncan McCallum. Now, here's one of the uh, stories, I guess, that uh, shows you the real difference between the hockey world 50 years ago and the hockey world 50 years later what a player looked like uh, in 1971 was of great concern to the training staff the coaching staff the management staff but of course that doesn't seem to be an issue for anyone right now Fred Sherrill the new bench boss of the Philadelphia Flyers seemed to be like the overwhelming majority of big league bench bosses at that time as he ordered all Flyers players to be clean-shaven with closely cropped hair. But there was one coach who seemed to be a bit more enlightened, wasn't worried particularly about the player's looks, and that was the new guy in Montreal, Scotty Bowman, the former GM coach of the Blues, who said he had no problem with the odd mustache and a longer hairstyle. Pat Curran of the Montreal Gazette uh, writes about that uh, for us early in this week in 1971. That writes, Jean-Claude Tremblay, who claimed long ago his sideburns don't make me give a bad pass, didn't surprise anyone by showing up with, God forbid, a mustache when the Canadians opened training camp on the weekend. And if sophomore defenseman Guy Lapointe and Pierre Bouchard rattled Scotty Bowman with the same adornments, The coach certainly didn't show it. Scotty told Pat Curran, I don't intend to try and change the human equation, at least not at training camp. Bowman was more concerned with the condition of the skaters than with their mod looks as well he should have been. I'm really pleased with the way the players accepted my request that they report in shape offered Scotty after checking the weights of last year's regulars and the top prospects among the 63 players in the Habs camp. Bowman had sent the Canadiens players their training camp weights of the past three years, as well as what they scaled last December and last March. They look real good. Frank Mahovlich, Scotty said, was right at his playing weight, and brother Peter showed up five pounds lighter than he reported last year. Phil Roberto was actually down eight pounds from last year's training camp. Rayjan was up a little bit, but he's only 5'11", and he could actually stand to put on a few more pounds. Hoole, who proved his worth as a shadow to Bobby Hull in the Stanley Cup final, apparently did what he promised. Hoole told Curran, I'm getting married and I'm going to stay in bed a lot and eat a lot. Henry Richard likely likely to be the next captain of the Montreal Canadiens to replace Jean Belleville, said that he was in such good shape after skating at his hockey school that 156 is four pounds less than his playing weight. Today, 156 might get you thrown out of training camp. They like you heavier and stronger these days. But then again, we're talking a different era here. Maybe, Henri said, I should let my hair grow. Of course, Henry is uh, graying quite rapidly now uh, at age 35 and starting his 17th NHL season. But then he said, you know, really, that ain't my style. Guy Lafleur, the hot shot rookie, drew a lot of attention and wore a new number 10 jersey to signify the number he'll be assigned with Canadiens. This may be bad luck because I have to make the club, said the 130-goal score in junior last year. He said he couldn't sleep while waiting the start of training camp. Lafleur intends to keep wearing the helmet he sported in junior. Guy says, it ain't going to be a fashion show uh, with me. I have been wearing a helmet since I was 10 years old, and I don't think I'll feel right without it. Guy Lafleur, no dummy this rookie. Of course, we've been talking about the California Golden Seals and on Monday of this week, there was some news out of Oshawa, Ontario, where they are uh, training. A lot of new faces were in the camp, according to United Press International, when the Seals opened the camp on the weekend. Fred Glover, who turned down an executive position with the team to remain as their coach, welcomed a healthy, happy group of candidates in the hometown of the Seals' new general manager, Gary Young. Ever since being hired away from the Boston Bruins early in the summer, Young has been dealing and dealing some more for new mostly young talent. When he got done, there wasn't one player remaining who signed with the original Seals franchise back in 1967, which is not that long ago. In his latest deal, young peddled goalie Gary Smith to the Chicago Blackhawks, picking up goalie Jerry Desjardins, forward Jerry Pinder, and Kerry Bond in return. Bond, as of this point, had not yet shown up in camp, but Glover says that's because the left winger, has had transportation problems, whatever that means. Unlike past seasons when some contract cases went to late compulsory arbitration, all of the SEALs were under contract before the opening of the pre-season camp. But that was because arbitration was held a bit earlier this summer, and a lot of SEALs did go to arbitration. Glover says the attitude here is healthy compared to what we had a year ago. If there's any lingering unhappiness over the arbitrations or recent deals, it's sure not evident to me. Forwards Tommy Williams and Frank Hughes were the final SEALs to come to terms with General Manager Young and the SEALs organization. There will be more SEALs news later in the week. The Detroit Red Wings are training in Port Huron, Michigan this year, and Howard Erickson of the Detroit Free Press has a report. Howard writes that the Red Wings are only two days into their great rebuilding experiment, trying to recover from one of their worst seasons ever, and trying to do it without the services of Gordie Howe. But already, General Manager Ned Harkness likes what he sees, as we say hope springs eternal we're holding tight Ned said after two workouts Sunday we're satisfied with the players we have in camp right now and we want to take a real good look at all of them we have the makings of a very good team while Harkness maintains that he'll keep the 77 players who are here for the wings training camp intact he doesn't necessarily mean that the possibility of a trade doesn't loom in the future Ned says, I think our team is really right now pretty complete. We have plenty of forwards and we're real strong in the goaltending department. But here comes another catch. The Wings need another strong defenseman or two, that's obvious. We aren't looking for one right now, Harkness says, but we could sure use one. So if you could sure use one, Ned, why ain't you looking? The Wings are especially weak defensively, and they'll need additional strength in that position during their 78-game schedule through the regular season. Coach Doug Barkley has veteran Gary Bergman leading his defense corps, and then there's Arnie Brown, Ron Harris, Jim Nykamp, and Bob Wall. All were with the Wings last year, with the exception of Wall, who was acquired from the St. Louis Blues to complete that uh, strange deal in which Carl Brewer ended up in St. Louis. Howard Erickson tells us that the Red Wings had several shots for defensemen at the league's June draft but all of those were available were judged by Harkness and company to be either too expensive or of questionable talent. For example Tim Horton the 41 year old former Toronto Maple Leaf who was with the New York Rangers last year was left under protected by the Broadway blue shirts but his hundred thousand dollar salary made him unattractive to the Red Wings who basically are uh, a license to print money for Bruce Norris. They could have easily afforded Tim Horton, but not according to the Red Wings management. Horton, of course, was claimed by the Pittsburgh Penguins, and he was signed for this season. Bill Brennan of the Detroit News was also on hand at the Red Wings training camp, and he addressed the giant elephant in the room at the Red Wings training site. The major question was, we know Gordie Howe isn't playing, But where is he? He's not even at training camp. We know, of course, he's retired and he wasn't going to play. But Gordy's an executive vice president of the Wings. He's been around the Red Wings training camps 25 straight years. Why wasn't he in Port Huron? Brennan addresses this. He just writes, "How's not here. Though a vice president of the team, he asked the Red Wings officials to excuse him from the first week of the training camp to allow other players on the team to get the publicity. Gordy also admitted that he didn't trust himself. After watching his mates work out, Gordy was afraid he might want to come out of retirement and join them on the ice once again. As always at this time of the year, no shows seem to be a consistent theme with the hockey reporters at the various camps and the Flyers had a couple notable absentees on the first day of their training camp in Ottawa, Ontario. The Flyers went to work for new coach Fred Shiro, with two prominent employees missing, according to Bill Fleischman of the Philadelphia Daily News. Goalie Doug Favell and top scorer Bobby Clark were absent when the club gathered around Fred Shiro for the first time on the Ottawa Civic Center ice. The Flyers without Favell and Clark is like pizza without anchovies and indigestion. What the heck's going on here? Nothing to get excited about, says GM Keith Allen. Favelle had written to me before we went to arbitration, and he said he'd be a little late for camp. We expect him tonight or maybe tomorrow, and this is on Monday. You always have the odd drifter coming into camp late, continued Allen. Dougie didn't give me a reason, but when you've lived with Dougie Favell for a while... You learn to accept odd little things. I've met Doug Favell. I've I've sat down, had dinner with him, uh, spent some time at a golf tournament with him as well. He's a really interesting guy. And uh, one afternoon, uh, he, me, and Ed Chadwick had uh, an hours-long conversation about goalkeeping and the rest of the world as well. And it was very, very, very enlightening. Allen, however, wasn't as nonchalant about Bobby Clark's missing. Allen drop this minor bombshell Bobby left for Philadelphia this morning where he'll have some abscess teeth extracted he should be back Tuesday his teeth were bothering him last spring and we set it up to have them pulled but Bobby went home now have you ever seen Bobby Clark smile in his first few years in the NHL what teeth are they pulling what is he going to have left Way out west in Medicine Hat, Alberta, the Vancouver Canucks opened their camp. And of course, one of the first questions everybody was asking is why the hell are they in Medicine Hat? Well, it wasn't the Canucks choice, that's for sure. They were slated to train in Calgary, but the brand new ice-making plant at the Calgary Arena literally blew up, and they couldn't effect repairs or replace it until much later in September. Can- Canucks couldn't wait. Training camp had to start. So the whole operation was moved down the road to Medicine Hap, much to the delight of the hockey fans in that prairie town five of the heads were missing in action when things got underway in the hat uh, <laughs> it was I think Hal Sigurdsson who wrote heck this town's so sophisticated it even has smog just like Vancouver but Gary Doak Mike Corrigan Rosie Paymont Charlie Hodge and Ted Taylor don't know they what they're missing because they are not here those five were no-shows last night when the rest of the Canucks checked in to open up their second National Hockey League training camp. The Canucks were another team that ordered players to get haircuts and shaves, but that plan by General Manager Bud Poyle hit a bit of a snag on Monday. The Canucks uh, uh, started the one-week training camp and found that the barber shops in Medicine Hat were closed on Mondays. So players were showing up on Tuesday, and Hal Laco was was uh, really upset to find that nobody had gotten a haircut or a shave, and that's because all the barbershops are closed on Monday in Medicine Hat, where everything else apparently is up to date. Laco said, We expect NHL players to be well-groomed, and I know that our players agree with us long hair is here to stay all we ask is that it be trimmed to a reasonable length have a look at Barry Wilkins a little later this season if you see any pictures of him in the Buffalo Sabres training camp St. Catharines Ontario I was following this quite closely being living down the road from St. Catharines at the time uh, there was a 2 sports guy who was actually making some news because lacrosse coach Morley Kells found a hockey player for Punch lack, the Buffalo Sabres general manager responded by loaning Morley Kells a lacrosse player. MLAX hockey player and Kells LaCrosse player are one and the same person, fellow by the name of Rick Dudley. And so far the leading arrangement the uh, lending arrangement I should say has worked out well for both coaches. Dudley's currently the top scorer in the Sabres hockey scrimmages, and last night's workout, he had three goals to help Kells Brantford Warriors to a fifteen to four route of the new Westminster Salmon bellies in the first game. Of the Man Cup final for the Canadian Senior Lacrosse Championship. The 22 year old Dudley had spent two years in the Minnesota North Stars system after graduating from the Blackhawks of the OHA Junior A Series, but was released after last season by the North Stars organization. It was then That Kells, who knew Wimlack from Punch's days with the Leafs, suggested that the Sabres invite Dudley to their training camp as a free agent would cost them nothing. Thus far, Dudley has collected five goals and as many assists in three scrimmage games. Dudley said, I was with Iowa, the Central Pro League, in my only two years of pro hockey, but I was injured most of the time both years, and maybe that's why Minnesota dropped me. Meanwhile, he's playing lacrosse in the summers, first with Mississauga Juniors, then this year with Brantford, where he was named the senior league's rookie of the year. Rick Dudley. This guy has a chance to actually make the Sabres. He's a little rough around the edges so far, but a little more seasoning. He could be a solid NHL player. The New York Rangers first round pick in the past June amateur draft was a big forward from the Toronto Marlboros, a kid by the name of Steve Vickers. Steve had made it known before the draft that he preferred to be selected by an expansion team because he felt he would have a better chance of making the NHL right off the bat and he wanted the big money right away. Well, the Rangers pick him as one of their top two picks. Uh, And of course, they're one of the better teams in the loop. They actually could go all the way this year. Steve decided, well, he should get the big money right away, even though he wouldn't likely make the powerful Rangers squad. Of course, Rangers general manager uh, Emil Francis disagreed with the rookie's assessment of things. The two were very far apart. So Vickers walked out of camp, didn't seem to bother Emil Francis at all, who said, we're so far apart. It doesn't make any sense for the kid to stick around here. Steve Vickers will learn. Well, one week one may be over in the NFL, but the season's just getting started at DraftKings on Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the National Football League. To kick off week two, DraftKings has given new customers... in free bets instantly when they bet a dollar on any football game. Listen up because you don't want to miss this. Head to the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and place a bet of $1 on any Week 2 game to receive $200 in free bets instantly. If Sportsbook is not yet available in your state, DraftKings still has huge cash prizes up for grabs all season long with their daily fantasy contests. DraftKings has given all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN that's THPN for the Hockey Podcast Network to receive $200 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any football game that's promo code THPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the NFL you must be 21 or over New Jersey, Indiana Pennsylvania only new customers only minimum $5 deposit and $1 Wager is required, one per customer, and some restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com/sportsbook for details. Have a gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-NINE WITH IT. And don't forget our other two sponsors as well: Newspapers.com, the largest newspapers uh, online archive in the in the world, uh, allows us to do most of our research. And of course, the Breakwall Brewing Company in beautiful downtown Port Coburn, Ontario. Anybody who gets to the Niagara region, look me up. We'll have a beer and a burger at the Breakwall. Chicago Blackhawks were training at home at Chicago Stadium, and they opened their camp with just 31 players on hand. Notice a bit of a trend here the good teams, the Bruins, the Blackhawks. They only have around thirty guys thirty one guys. Here's a story from Ted Damata of the uh, Chicago Tribune. A quick story about the Blackhawks camp. 31 athletes reported to Coach Billy Ray, a comparatively small squad for a training period, especially when eight of them were amateurs when drafted last June. And one of the newcomers, fellow by name of Ron Pepler, a left winger from St. Catharines, appraised the total squad sagely for a 20-year-old. Scanning his new teammates as they exchanged hellos in the clubhouse, Ron observed they're big Everybody's so big I wish I was a right winger Look at those holes They're all muscle The other newcomers are Bill Pettinger, Clyde Simon, Dave Crisco and Dan Springer are forwards, defenseman Lenny Frigg and Mike Baumgartner, goalie Gilles Malash, who played a little bit last year for the Blackhawks when Jerry Desjardins came up with a busted arm. There's also a trio of newcomers among the pros. Gary Smith, the big goalie, was acquired from the Seals a week ago, uh, there's also Daryl Maggs, defenseman from Dallas, and Jean-Pierre Bordelo, a promising right winger, also from that Dallas Farm Club, and he's been kept down because of the injury the last two seasons that he suffered. JP is 6'1", weighs in at only 154 pounds. He's listed on the roster at 170. <laughs> Bordelo said, that's my wishing weight. I keep trying to pack it on, but it just doesn't seem to stay with me. As the week went on we learned about a a Red Wings rookie goalkeeper and his unusual off-season occupation. If brick walls and steel guardrails don't phase Andy Brown there's no way a black rubber disc is going to bother him even if it goes by and 100 miles an hour. Andy is 27 and a rookie goalie with the Red Wings drafted from Baltimore of the American Hockey League, where he was on the All-Star team. Andy also, in the summers, drives race cars. Andy says, you know, I like them both, and as of yet, I haven't had to make a choice between racing and hockey. The 6 foot, 185 pound native of Hamilton drives the super modified cars and some sprints. Andy says, I had a fair year last year. We had a new car, and we didn't finish much. Then we took over an old car, and it did really well. We finished up front every time we managed to finish a race. I saw Andy drive several times. I used to make the trip to Oswego, New York to see the Super Modifieds. And back in those days, those cars also ran at Flamborough Speedway just north of Hamilton. We saw the uh, those cars quite a bit. Andy was a pretty interesting uh, guy. Uh, he had no fear and he was one of the few professional goalkeepers at this point in history who still wasn't wearing a mask. As we said, we had a little more Seals news for you this week. As the week went on, the Seals got one little piece of housekeeping taken care of. They named their new captain, and he is defenseman Carl Vadne. Uh, at the same time, the coach announced that Burt Marshall, Wayne Carlton, and Tommy Williams would wear DA as alternate captains. Now the Seals hadn't had a captain since they traded Teddy Hampson to Minnesota last spring. Dadney had a lot of injuries last year, thumb and a knee, and he missed 24 games, or sorry, he missed 36 games, but he still scored 10 goals and had 16 assists. Vadney is very much in demand by teams by way of a trade. Naming him captain, often seems to guarantee that some sort of a deal is going to happen. Meanwhile, new goalie Gary Kurt, who was picked up in the draft this summer, has been impressing Seals coach Freddie Glover. In early training, Kurt turned away some tough shots. He was never caught out of position during the scrimmages that he participated in. Kurt and Jerry Desjardins are expected to battle for the Seals starting goalie job with the Seals this year. Now, uh, Wayne Carlton, who just got the A sewn on his sweater, he scored two goals in in the first scrimmage with Ernie Hickey, Tommy Williams, and Craig Patrick also getting single goals. And uh, Desjardins isn't playing yet. They're still looking at that broken arm he had last year. Stay tuned on that one. Here is some possibly ominous news out of Winnipeg where the Minnesota North Stars are training. Bill Goldsworthy was injured in the North Stars practice on I think it was Wednesday and taken to a Winnipeg hospital with a possible concussion. Goldsworthy suffered the head injury when he was hit by a body check from teammate Doug Moans, Goldsworthy was not wearing a helmet at the time. North Star defenseman Dennis O'Brien was also shaken up in that workout when he crashed into the boards and the extent of his injury wasn't immediately known. Now, if you, the thing to worry about with Goldsworthy on this one is he suffered a head injury last year and started wearing a helmet in games, but we were told he was considering dropping the helmet, and in some of these workouts, he hasn't been wearing it. So I'll have to stay tuned and see how Bill Goldsworthy uh, turns out after this. Something a little interesting I found here, Doug Moans was the guy that hit Goldsworthy that injured him. There were several other players over the years who were hit by Doug Moans. They were opponents in regular season games who also received some pretty severe injuries. Doug Moans always seemed to be around when guys got hurt. Every once in a while, I get reminded of just what the world was like 50 years ago. I was playing hockey at this time. I say I was was 20 years old and uh, playing local uh, intermediate hockey and having a ball doing it, by the way. Uh, But I just, you know, you forget just how... Sort of primitive things were. Here's a story written by Terry Jones of the Edmonton Journal this week. A juvenile hockey player lay for 15 to 20 minutes on the ice Tuesday with part of another player's skate blade lodged in his right eye. Jeff King, 17, is in Royal Alexandra Hospital's intensive care unit today in grave danger of losing that eye. His father, Alan A. A. King of Edmonton, who saw the freak accident at the gardens where Jeff was among players trying out for the Edmonton Oil Kings, said it was something that wouldn't happen again in a thousand years. Oil King general manager Bill Hunter said, this is the most shocking thing I've ever seen in my hockey life. The father of the young defenseman, Alan King, said, I saw it happen. The two boys got tangled up and they fell to the ice. My son landed with the blade in his eye. Mr. King said he expected his son was going to lose the eye. Mike Birmingham King's teammate in Bantam hockey and a very very close friend was the other oil King involved in the accident he was taken to hospital suffering from shock and who could blame him I feel sorry for Mike Mr. King said afterward it was an accident but he's pretty shaken up about it nonetheless Jeff was conscious as he lay on the ice with the skate still in his eye as the two players awaited the arrival of a doctor in an ambulance young Birmingham lay as still as he possibly could, afraid to move for fear of causing further damage and perhaps something fatal that would... uh that uh, would happen out of the whole thing Jeff King was in surgery for four and a half hours Tuesday evening the accident happened to one side of the front of the net occupied by goalie Jack Cummings the two players collided the hockey stick according to nearby players became tangled in the Birmingham, in the Birmingham uh, Birmingham's uh, equipment he landed on his knees with the back of his skates facing up king the players said was pulled down by his own stick and landed flush on the skate blade birmingham skate was equipped with a plastic safety guard on the end of the blade but part of the guard entered the eye with the blade the story doesn't end here by the way we will have updates uh, from time to time this will not be a story that will be resolved this week but we will let you know what happens to young jeff king Ted Blackman of the Montreal Gazette claims to have some inside knowledge of rookie defenseman Jocelyn Gavremont's contract with the Vancouver Canucks. Blackman writes that part of Gavremont's contract with Vancouver includes an off-season public relations job and the choice of a new car for every year of the contract. The Canucks claim that Vancouver uh, paid... Gaverma as much as the Canadians are paying Guy LaFleur and knowing the way the Vancouver operation is uh run, uh, we wouldn't we wouldn't really doubt that claim. Maple Leaf's general manager Jim Gregory can't figure out why the SEALs turned down what he felt was a very substantial offer for defenseman Carl Vadney, who was Named their captain this week, as we mentioned. The deal apparently would have included defenseman Jim McKinney, a high draft pick, and a young forward who was unnamed. General manager Gary Young said that he wouldn't take an offer like that because Vadney is this season, if he's healthy, going to be the number two defenseman in the entire National Hockey League. And in fact, he's very, very close to being number one. Number one, of course, is Bobby Orr. So that's why with Vlad being named captain, that trade wasn't made. But you know what? There's probably going to be a deal made with Vadney. The Seals need too much help. Well, we have a bit of media news for you this week. Uh, KDKA Radio in Pittsburgh announced that it will broadcast all 78 regular season games and any playoff games that the Pittsburgh Penguins will have this year. Last year, KDKA, they only aired 51 games, but the increased interest in Pittsburgh made it go all out for this season. Jim Forney will once again... Do the play-by-play, and that's a big plus for the Penguins. Forney's not only an excellent announcer, but Jim Forney knows the game of hockey. And... Here's a first, and this was really something that uh, caught my eye because I always wanted to know about the exhibition season. The Detroit Red Wings announced that all nine of their exhibition games would be broadcast on radio for the first time in the club's history. Those games will be heard on Detroit radio station, WWJ. There was a lot of World Hockey Association talk going on this week. We'll have some tidbits in the Twitter feed. And that's going to be another one of the features our Patreon subscribers are going to get. We're going to have some of the very most interesting articles from outposts where you normally wouldn't find hockey news as uh, rumors of WHA franchises being granted were floating around the hockey world and we'll have some of those most of those will probably have a weekly in-depth report for the patreon folks uh, be something you'll probably want to subscribe to because you're going to find out some things a lot of people have forgotten about the wha in its infancy And our final story this week, a little bit about the training camp the National Hockey League runs in Brantford where the Penguins are training for their on-ice officials, and Ed Waring of the Globe and Mail decided to attend and see what he could find out. Ed writes, Ian Scotty Morrison, referee-in-chief of the National Hockey League, operates his training camp in the same measure as uh, Butland's Holiday Resorts in Britain. It's wakey-wakey at 6 a.m. And from then on, the 41 officials and would-be officials are subjected to a regimented training program. Morrison, who's 41, also assigns officials for games in the American Hockey League, the Central Hockey League, and the Western Hockey League, and he'll choose his 36-man team from this training camp. Morrison feels that this has been his most successful training camp that he's had. Until I took over in 1965, the linesmen and referees were left on their own to get in shape for the coming season. We run a camp just like those that the players go through. Since officials are always expected to be a step ahead of the players, they're up two hours earlier and out on the ice, on the training grounds I should say, or on the ice, An hour before most of the highly paid pros are getting up, after the 6 a.m. revelry, the officials can be found at Mohawk Park in Brantford at 7 a.m., trotting around the half mile track before turning into push ups and other types of calisthenics. Breakfast is then at 8 a.m., followed by a half hour relaxation period. The camp then moves to the Brantford Community Center for more than an hour's skating, including power skating, work with a hockey stick and puck, plus, actually a little bit of body checking. The body checking and stick handling experiments are part of Morrison's plan to ensure that the officials know how a player acts. I think it's pretty good training. They they know a body check feels, they know how it feels, and they also get a slight idea of how it is to propel the puck down the ice. The one thing they couldn't teach these guys, and this is the thing I've been harping on for years, is all officials... Played the game of hockey. You don't get involved in hockey and refereeing unless you probably were exposed to the game as a player. There may be rare cases, but not many. But none of these guys were professional hockey players. And why weren't they? Because they couldn't be uh, considered good enough for pro hockey. And why weren't they? If you saw the guys and they weren't in that great a shape, all you have to say, guys like Brian Lewis, Bruce Hood, they were pretty good physical specimens from what I could see. But these guys couldn't play at the pro level because of one thing. Physically, they had all the tools. They could skate like the wind. I saw a few of them even stick handle pretty nice. Carry Fraser was known as the great white hope of Sarnia because he was one of the best young hockey players they ever saw coming out. His former coach told me he was the best skater he ever coached. He also said... That uh, Kerry couldn't think the game fast enough I won't give you the exact phrase he used But that's the problem with most of the referees still to this day The thing that they lack is that hockey instinct The hockey sense that the great players have And the players who make the NHL are all comparatively great Compared to what referees went through and how they played And especially back 50 years ago A little more about this uh, official's training camp. Morrison said, you know what's happened with all these workouts? None of the 42 guys here needed to be rocked to sleep. We don't have a curfew. They usually sit around, sip a beer, and then watch 11 o'clock news, and it's lights out, and mainly because they're falling asleep already. Morrison has three assistants uh, in this camp. He calls them supervisors. One is Dan McLeod, former athletic director at the Royal Military College in Kingston, Ontario, and former referees Frank Avery of Kitchener and Dutch Van Dielen, who is from Edmonton. McLeod joined Morrison's staff only recently and has been in charge of the training program. A total of 42 attended the camp, 31 of whom officiated games for the past two years. Morrison said, I need five more, and I've got 11 rookies in camp, so we're going to end up having to make six cuts. We didn't get any of the names of the guys who were there. They were, of course, all the familiar names, you know. The rookies we're not sure of, but, of course, we'll find out who the rookies are later in the season. And that's Scotty Morrison on the officials training camp in Brantford, Ontario. So that is this week's show, everybody. And I guess we learned a few things this time around. We learned that the National Hockey League 1971 training camps were all underway. And as usual in every September, as we mentioned, hope springs eternal. We learned that Gordie Howe would not be playing we knew that but he wasn't even at the Red Wings training camp for the first time in 25 years and of course we had the reason why and we got a look at how National Hockey League referees were getting in shape for the long grind of another big league and minor professional season here's some of the stories we're working on for next week's show Lots more training camp news and we'll have as much as we can cram into our normal time slot. Sid Abel and Gary Unger were sniping at the Red Wings from a distance, actually not that far away at all, as uh, geographically that is, as they talked about the Red Wings from the St. Louis Blues training camp, which by the way was in Flint, Michigan of all places. And remember that trade we told you about last week between the Seals and the Blackhawks? Well, that's kind of turning turn sour pretty quickly, and a remedy for this situation will not immediately be clear the 50 years ago in hockey podcast is produced by Andy Cole I can't thank him enough for all the hard work he puts into this Andy produces podcasts if you want something put together get a hold of me and I'll put you in touch with Andy the very popular Juno nominated indie rock group from Toronto the rural Alberta Advantage provides our intro and exit music They are starting to consider live shows again. If you ever get a chance to see them in your community, don't miss the opportunity. It's a great experience. You can find us every day on Twitter at Hockey 50 years on Facebook under 50 Years Ago in Hockey, we get all our research from files from the Toronto Globe and Mail, the Toronto Star, and of course all the fine publications found at newspapers.com. Every week we're here on the Hockey Podcast Network. You can support us by going to patreon.com slash hockey50years. That helps us out quite a bit. This is going to be a unique An interesting season in 1971-72. I can't tell you how excited I am to be doing this podcast for this particular hockey season. We'll be with you and we'll tell you all the stories about NHL expansion decisions, about this new World Hockey Association thing, and about the progress of the Sabres, the Canucks, and how the Maple Leafs uh, franchise is starting to crumble. And on that note we will see you next time when the ice